necessary, you know, to, unless you guys will let me borrow yours. Uh, well, if you have your Bibles, let's open up. We actually have some exciting things to talk about in the book of Jeremiah tonight. <clears throat> we find ourselves in chapter 7, and really in the midst of, of Jeremiah's call to revival for the church at that time in the temple. And we know this call for revival that Jeremiah makes is unheeded. Nobody hears what he has to say. You know, I'm always thankful, though, that God always sends someone anyway. Aren't you? I mean, even though God knows, nation's not going to listen. They've turned their back on him. They've pretty much finished their decision to run full speed ahead away from the Lord. But God sends a prophet anyway. This just boggles my mind. We look at creation and we see that God knows that man's going to fall. And that through the fall of man, he will be required to die on a cross to wear flesh that he's never worn before to come and and humble himself in that way to be spat upon to be whipped to be beaten to be hung on a cross by his own creation but he made us anyway that's just i never get tired of contemplating the love of god that's willing to go to to any any depth to reach us, to touch us. Even if he knows, we won't hear. Still he sends. Still they go. And I think for you and I today, as we find ourselves in a day, in a dispensation of grace, in a time post-cross, where we have the Holy Spirit and, and the equipping of God to do the things God's calling us to do, it's a challenge for us. Because I don't know about you, but I write people off. I'll see that guy walking down the street in his, you know, white shirt and bicycle and neat little tie. And I, I rid him off already. And maybe he won't listen. All I know is God would tell him anyway. God would send a prophet. Maybe God sends you. Maybe God sends me. But he'll send us anyway, regardless to bear witness to the truth. So here we see Jeremiah on the steps of the temple, giving this disortation, calling out to the people to, to turn, to change, to, to, to repent, to experience the fullness of life with God. Remember, we've been studying in Deuteronomy, guys, on Wednesday night. Remember, how many times did Moses warn them, don't serve other gods, don't fall into idol worship, don't mix with all these other nations, because it's going to tear your heart away from the Lord your God. And in Jeremiah, we see it. It's happened. It's happened. And I think the warning is for us, too. It's the same way that they got all caught up in the world and the things of the world and the cares of the world. Didn't Jesus say sometimes that's what happens to the fruitfulness of the seed of the word? It's cast out, but it's choked out by the weeds. And the weeds are the cares of this world that, that all these things we're chasing. 
You know, success, and, and it's not necessarily bad in and of itself. But when we make that, isn't it possible for us to make that our God? Rather than allowing God to be at the headship of our lives and trust Him? Because didn't He say in Matthew chapter 6, your Father knows what you need. He knows what you need. So don't worry. Look at the flowers of the field. They neither toil nor spin. But your Father in heaven takes care of them. And you are of more value than the flowers of the field. And look at the birds of the air. Your Father in heaven, He feeds the birds of the air. He takes care of them. Not one sparrow falls to the ground. He knows. And you are of much more value than a sparrow. That God will care for us. But what's He tell us in Matthew 6? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all this other stuff will be added unto you. Seek God's kingdom first. That's, that's where we've blown it, church. I mean, personally, at least for me. Because I can chase a hundred things. For, for one thing, I can chase ministry and opportunities to serve and forget about the Lord. Oh, come on. Oh, really? It's possible. That's not probably going to work there, huh? It's possible to do it. It's possible to get so caught up in trying to serve and trying to reach out and trying to do things that I forget that I got to spend time with God every day. I got to seek his face. That he needs to be first, not ministry. Him, the Lord. And that's key to what Jeremiah has for us tonight. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 16, hopefully we'll never hear the Lord say this about us. Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or a prayer for them, nor make intercession to them, for I will not hear you. So, God's people are pretty far down that line, right? You know, have they crossed the point of no return? I don't know. They, they don't return until after captivity, but... There comes that time where the Lord says in the book of Romans that he turns people over, right? That they go so far down that he turns them over. And he says literally to Jeremiah, don't even pray for him. Now, I want you to think about this. Remember Moses when God wanted to start all over with the people? He said, forget these people, Moses. They're all a bunch of hard heads. They don't listen. I'm going to start over with you. And Moses prayed for the people, right? He prayed and, and literally said, I will go to hell for them. If, if you can't redeem this people, then blot my name out of your book of life. God didn't tell Moses to stop praying for him. Or David. David praying for the people that when he numbered the people and he shouldn't have and this, this calamity comes upon the people and David prayed and God didn't say, David, don't pray. Throughout scripture, we look at, at a person after person, prophet after prophet. It's not very often. That God says, don't even pray. Don't even pray. Turn them over. There are some people, sometimes, where we will not change our direction until we bounce. And the Lord says, they got to go through it. They got to bounce. They got to hit the bottom. They got to go through this heartache. Lives have to be lost. People have to die. Things have to happen for these people to turn. So just trusting in the Lord. Now I'm thankful today 
We don't really have to worry about this in our life with you and I. Because in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, the book of Hebrews chapter 7 tells us we have a high priest. You know what his name is? Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father and he ever lives, which means he lives forever, to do what? Intercede for us. Is there ever a time when someone's not praying? When Jesus isn't praying for his, his body, his church, for you, for me? So post-cross, we don't see this in occurrence. But prior to the cross, we certainly do see. We certainly do see the Lord saying, don't. Don't, they've gone too far. Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire. The women knead the dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Sounds like a nice family night, right? And literally what you're reading in that verse is family night. But what God's saying about family night is you have family night, but it's not with me. You have family night, but I'm not a part of it. You have family night, but you worship the queen of heaven. For them, it's, it's Ishtar. Ishtar, for whom the holiday is approaching that we celebrate as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We call it Easter. Easter comes from Ishtar, the worship of Ishtar, which was the queen of heaven. Or Ashereth, it's been applied to her as well. Scary today is that same exact title is given by our Catholic brothers and sisters of Mary. Queen of heaven, God says, you're worshiping false gods. Jesus Christ and his sacrifice plus nothing equals salvation. Period. We don't need Mary. Was Mary blessed among women? Absolutely. Absolutely. Isn't that what the Lord said? She was blessed. She should be honored. Does she deserve respect? Absolutely. Is she the queen of heaven? No. She's not. Jesus Christ. Why would we want to go to to Jesus' mother... To ask for her to pray for us when Jesus is praying for us. Why beat around the bush? Straight to him. Why go through Jesus' mother when, when Jesus' mother came, when Mary came to Jesus at the first miracle in Cana and said, they're out of wine. Remember what Jesus said? Woman, what do I have to do with you? This that you're asking me to do has nothing to do with my father's plan in my life. So, but what occurred, guys, around 300 AD, this is how it happened. Rome brought in Christianity as the, the religion. At one time, it had been the Babylonian religion, Mystery Babylon. In fact, you know what the Babylonian religion calls their high priest? Pontifex Maximus. Does that name sound familiar to you? It's a name that's attributed to the Pope today. Am I saying the Pope is Babylonian? No, no. What I'm saying is, at one time, that was all Babylonian. And then when the church was accepted, when the church came in, when the church, when, when the, the, the Caesar, when Constantine said, the church, this is going to be our official religion, 
They didn't want to get rid of all those other priests and all those holidays. So they Christianized them. And Ishtar became Easter. You ever wonder why? We know when Jesus rose from the dead, folks. He was crucified at Passover, right? It's not hard to figure it out. It's not hard to figure it out. But tradition, quote unquote, became Easter. Now, does it make any difference? No, it doesn't matter. That point doesn't matter. When I celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter, I celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on every day, for one thing. But when I set aside a special day to honor him and to tell the story of how Jesus rose from the dead, that's not messed up. I'm just saying it had its footing. It had its grounding in pagan ritual. And all that stuff come creeping in. And that's where Queen of Heaven came from. Only Queen of Heaven couldn't be Ishtar anymore. So the Queen of Heaven became Mary. They made those adjustments. When Satan couldn't persecute the church out of existence, we know what he did, right? He joined. And it has been a part of church tradition to date. I think it's important that we understand those things. But listen, here's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, he's saying, you're having family night without me. You're worshiping other gods. You're spending time together. Is it important that we spend time together as a family? Absolutely. But in Deuteronomy, we're told what that family time should be centered around, aren't we? Turn with me, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the the Lord lays out this concept for us that hopefully we're, we're able to grasp, make a part of our life. Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And these words which I command you today will be in your heart. And you will teach them diligently to your children. And you will talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You will bind them as a sign on your hand, and they will be frontless between your eyes. You will write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In essence, the Lord is saying, your entire life is going to be built around dedication to me. And your family time, family time, doesn't mean we can't sit around and have, play games. Doesn't mean we shouldn't have fun. It's saying that God needs to be a part of every aspect of our family life together. And if he's not, the family deteriorates. And if the family deteriorates, it begins to break up and split. And when the family begins to break up and split, the nation does the same thing. That's what is occurring in our country right now. The destruction of the family. You want to see what our future holds? Read the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, because we're doing the same thing, only we're doing it in less than 300 years. It took them a 1,000. We're on the advanced. We're in a hurry. We want to make it happen quick. But same thing, destruction of the family. And where does the destruction of the family begin? It begins at that core time, father, mother, children gathered together, and the Lord being central part of everything we do and all of a sudden he's not at one time the family used to be the citadel of faith now 
your home, that's just where the VCR is, right? Or the Xbox, or the PlayStation, or the Wii. And none of those things are evil in and of themselves. But when it's no longer centered around the Lord, things begin to break down. And we wonder, how did my kids get there? Or here, or to that place, or to this thing? Because we allow that breakdown... Hey, I'm just as guilty as you of thinking, you know what? I know what I, when I first started coming to church, it was so my kids would be okay. So I brought them to Sunday school because that'll fix them, right? They'll spend time in Sunday school on Sunday for what? One hour? Unless Jackie's preaching, it could be an hour and 15 minutes. And then, what? Then, then, then the next six days they spend like a heathen at the house. What do we teach? Hypocrisy. Because Christ isn't central in our life. And that breakdown was what was going on in Israel and why they were in need of a revival. And the revival that would come to Israel needed to begin with the people getting back to that core element. Getting back to spending time together and making God central. That he's an important part of life. Verse 19, he says, Do not provoke me to anger, says the Lord. Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place, man and on beast and on trees and on field and on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. Now, These are things that actually occurred to the nation of Israel when Babylon took over. And these are a list of current events that are going to occur in this world when the Lord returns. When we enter into the tribulation period, when that judgment falls upon the earth. And the book of Revelation calls those people the earth dwellers, those who put their faith, their hope, everything that they are, in the earth, in the ground, in the tangible, and what they can touch. And they don't want to have nothing to do with the Lord. And this is the kind of language that God has for them too. The same language that was used for the destruction of Israel is language that is utilized as we look toward the end of this age. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offering to your sacrifice and eat it. Eat meat. Listen, the burnt offering was never to be eaten. The burnt offering was an offering of consecration. The whole thing was burned up and went to the Lord. It was consumed by God. But God says, don't bring your burnt offering to me. I don't want your offering. Just go cook it on the barbecue and eat it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. He doesn't want to have anything to do with that ritualistic religion I mean, think about when Jesus came. Who did he have the hardest time with? The religious people, right? The Pharisees, the ones who figured out that they had every, all their ducks in a row. You know, they were doing all the right things. Because they were just as far from the Lord as everybody else, but on the outside they looked good. That's why Jesus said, you're whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. But you, don't, you won't reach out to a Savior. You think it's all good. 
And we have to watch constantly, always looking at our lives and saying, listen, is what I do, is my relationship with the Lord a ritual, just something I go through, or is this something that's real and vibrant that I want to make a part of my life and that I want to bring in? It doesn't mean we're always going to do it right. Nobody always does it right. But it means that's our desire. My desire is that that's central, that's real. That even though maybe I didn't teach my kids that for the first 10 years of their life, I can do it now. And God will still move. God's still God, right? He still moves stones. He still moves mountains. He still does the God thing. He just calls his people to trust, to believe, to know. He says, don't bring your junk Don't bring me your sacrifices. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them. This is important. When the Lord began telling his people about what he wanted from them, he never started with the sacrifice. He didn't start with it. Because the Lord would say to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of lambs to obey in the in the book of micah if you guys want to go there with me micah 6 8 the lord lays out for us the same concepts that he says listen you ask oh man what it is that that i desire the god desires mercy he desires us to to, to pour out our lives and to trust him. In Micah 6, 8, he tells us that this is what the Lord desires. This is what God wants. This is where, where God wants us to be. And as he lays it out for us, he wants us to make that choice, to understand it's not about the sacrifice any more than it was about the, than it was about the circumcision or it was about the baptism. It was before that when the Lord said to obey is better than sacrifice. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. No sacrifice. When the law was given, did the Lord start with the sacrifice? No, he started with the law. Here's what I require. Here's how I want you to walk. Knowing that they would fail, then he went on to the sacrifice. That's what God's saying here. I didn't begin with sacrifices. I began with obedience. You come to me with your sacrifice, but you care not at all for for obedience. Remember we talked this morning about what obedience, that word obedience means to listen under authority. To accept the word of God as authority in your life and to make it matter. But the Lord says, hey, you're just running to your sacrifice. But this is what I commanded. Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward. 
If the road you're on doesn't get you to where you want to be, to continue down that road is insanity. It's stupid. If you're on the wrong road or going the wrong way, desire to make it is not enough, is it? You got to change your direction. If you want something you've never had before, you got to do something you haven't done yet. And that's what the Lord is saying. Hey, I, I laid it all out for you. You guys go backwards instead of forward. One step forward, two step backwards, right? Same kind of a concept. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, listen to this. I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. I sent them. Still sends them. I am... I am challenged by the scripture we read a few weeks ago in, in Jeremiah where the Lord says through Jeremiah the prophet, I rose up early to tell you what my plans for you were today, but you weren't there. The Lord saying, hey, I was here. I had a word for you. I had a word to share with you, but you know, it was just me. At our meeting, you didn't come. Here the Lord says, listen, I sent my servants and my prophets. How? Rising what way? Early. Man, I really, with all my heart, wish that God would get up later. Because I hate getting up early. But when I'm faithful and I do it, it's such an incredible time with the Lord unbeatable time it's funny because i can get up early to go hunting i can get up early to go fishing and most of the time none of that works out very well unless i'm shooting squirrels with kelly and then i only get to shoot one to his 20 anyways because he got that machine gun he uses but nonetheless i'll get up early for all that stuff but when i want to get up early to spend time with the lord it's like the devil is sitting on my chest in the Sheets are warmer than usual, and the floor is colder. You guys know what I mean? It's just this weird, and, and it's a, it is a constant, never-ending battle for me. Now, I know there are those weird people like Kathy, who, who just go, bing, and they wake up, and she's smiling. One morning, I got up with her early in the morning, and, and I don't smile early in the morning. And, and she's looking at me, you know, the little sourpuss sitting on the chair, you know, and just really trying to pry my eyes, eyes open and focus on spending some time with Kathy and spending some time in the Word. And, and she, she started to get grumpy. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm just following your example. <laughs> and I said, No. <laughs> I said, oh, all right, I guess I'll try to change my attitude. But listen, Kathy, I married you because you're happy. So that's the rule. Your happiness pulls me out of my gloominess. If you become gloomy and cranky with me, uh, that's not your helpmate. Remember, babe, come alongside and, and kick me into happiness. That's what my wife does for me. She makes me happy. 
But to her, when it's time to get up, she's out. She's singing as she walks down the hallway. This is the day that the Lord has made. Just as happy as I'll get out. I am a polar opposite of that. <laughs> Coffee. Monster if I got it in the fridge, but more often coffee. But I think there's definitely a scriptural truth to getting up early and spending time with the Lord. No way around it. God wants us to get up and to spend time with him early. He has something to say. But some days we don't get up so we don't hear it. And then we get dull of hearing and pretty soon... We're not spending any of that time that we need to spend with him. That God wants us to spend. God wants us to have with him. He goes on to tell us then, They did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So this generation, each generation has gotten worse. Don't we see that in our own society? Each generation gets worse, right? That's how it works. Therefore, you will speak all these words to them so that they will not obey you. And you shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. Jeremiah, here's your mission. I want you to go and I want you to preach and I want you to teach, but nobody's going to listen. Nobody's going to come. What a depressing ministry. That's why they called Jeremiah the weeping prophet. It even wears on Jeremiah so much that he tries to quit once, but he just can't do it. But isn't that just show the love of God? These people won't listen, but my word is going to be in their ears. They won't hear it, but my word's going to be in their ears. God never stops reaching out. He never stops trying to touch, to change, to to make a difference in that life. Then he says in verse 28, So you will say to them, This is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord, their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Truth matters. The Bible is very specific about truth. That truth exists, that truth is absolute, that what is true is always true. We don't have to worry about it being true on Tuesdays, but not true on Thursdays. True tomorrow, but not true the day after tomorrow. You have all kind of people who want to follow all these other concepts, all these isms, all these other plans. But they never really have this concept of truth. What do they say? Well, you know... I. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to knock on this guy's truth or that guy's truth on that religion or this religion or that religion. Really, why not? Because that's not loving. That's selfish. How how is that selfish? Because all you care about is yourself. All you care about is your comfort. All you care about is, is, is that you either believe there is truth or you don't. If you don't believe in truth, then you need help too. But if you believe you have the truth, that God's word is truth, it's unloving not to reach out and share that truth. It's unloving not to say to them, yeah, no, all roads don't lead to Christ. All roads don't go to heaven. Jesus was very clear. 
I am the way, not a way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man, Adam, no man of mankind gets to the Father except through me. One way. Either the Word of God, the Bible is false. This is a false religion and needs to be pitched. Or it's true and it can only stand alone. It won't stand with any other. It's designed that way. Either it's true or it's false. If it's true and someone else believes some hocus pocus thing is going to be okay with them, then it's our responsibility to bear witness to the truth. But the nation here, the nation of Judah, the, the, the lower nation, the southern nation of Israel, truth had perished. It's kind of how it is in our world today. What's true? I can't even tell you guys how many times someone will tell me, well, you know, I just don't want to say nothing bad about this religion or that religion or that religion. All of those things by the, want to stand by themselves. They don't join with one another. There can only be one right way. There can only be one right religion. Unless you believe that religion is the opiate of the masses and we just need it as a crutch. And so you have your crutch, I have my crutch, they have their crutch. It doesn't really matter. It's just how we become better people. But now you're not clinging to the truth, are you? You're just reaching out for a crutch. If it's true, and it needs to be shared. But, any time we don't share, apart from the Lord saying, shh, which he'd do sometimes, that's selfishness. Because I'm not comfortable. Because I'm afraid about what they're going to say. Funny thing is, in all my years of doing all that, never one time, never one time did I think, how does it look to Jesus when I won't bear witness to the truth? I always thought about it. I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Usually that's what I'd say. You know, because the truth was I was scared. I don't want to make them uncomfortable, so I won't do it. And one day, a friend of mine who's a missionary said, how's that look to Jesus when you do that? Oh. Truth had perished from this land. And truth is perishing from ours. It won't be long. Folks, we're siding with Hamas and the Hezbollah. We are calling Israel the enemy. I I, I can't even fathom that. Excuse me, excuse me. Who was driving the planes into the World Trade Center? Who, 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 Who blew it up? Who crashed into the Twin Towers? Who did that? Israel? How many hijackings has Israel been a part of? How many bombings has Israel come over and blew anything up? If you want to go to Israel today, can you walk in there with any book you want? Huh. You know you can't get into Syria that way. You can't get into Saudi Arabia that way. It's illegal. They'll kill you if you proselytize in Saudi Arabia. Death penalty for sharing your faith. Let's back them boys. 
Let's find ourselves on the side of those who are constantly blowing up friends and neighbors. And worse than that, what did the Lord say? I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those that curse you. And who are we siding with? Lord, have mercy on us. So I tell you what God's doing in heaven right now. He's looking for men and women who will stand in the gap for their nation and pray. Well, it's not me. I didn't make that dumb decision. I know, but neither did Daniel. But he prayed and asked God to forgive him for the nation's sin. Even though he didn't have anything to do with it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, right? The Lord will hear. The Lord will respond. Truth is perishing. So verse 29, he says, get a fresh start. Cut off your hair and cast it away. See, if Fritz was still here, I'd make a comment about his bald head. But he's gone. Cut off your hair and cast it away and take up a lamentation on the desolate heights. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. The Lord has forsaken the generation of his wrath. Listen, I don't want you to miss this point. They began by mixing in worship of other gods and goddesses. And then those other gods and goddesses, little by little, pushed out the truth, shoved the truth out of the way. And then... They offered their children as sacrifices. Same thing is happening in our country today. Same pattern. The same thing. Child sacrifice becomes the right of atonement. Verse 30. For the children of of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord... They have set their abominations in the house which is called my name to pollute it. So they brought in these false gods. And they have built the high places of Tophet. You're going to hear that phrase over and over and over and over and over and over in the Old Testament. The high places. Listen, the high places can be in a low place. What? The high place is like a stage, a place that they build up. So they call it a high place. It's a place of worship. It can be anywhere, sometimes on top of a hill, sometimes it's in a grove, sometimes it's in a valley. But it'll always be called the high place because they built it up off of the ground, like this stage area where they can take part in the ceremonies. And whenever it talks about tofet, tofet means the oven or the furnace. That's always a place of child sacrifice. It's a place where they would throw their children in the fire. Maybe believing that's what was required for God to to be happy with them. Why? Because when you throw out truth, you'll believe anything. You throw out the truth, nothing else matters. So, they built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom. You come to Israel with me, we will go through the valley of Hinnom. Still there today. Jesus called it Gehenna. 
It's also a synonym with hill. And that's the place which is called the Valley of Slaughter as Jeremiah begins his message about the Valley of Slaughter here. Which is the Valley of the Son of Hinnom to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. God says, it's not about me. You're not listening to me. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no longer be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Tophet until there is no room. The valley of Tophet, not a huge place, but it's an awful big place to be full of the carcasses of children. And that's what they did. Offered up their kids. Offered up their kids to the fire. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the heavens and for the beasts of the earth. And no one will frighten them away. The Bible tells us that the angels of the Lord watch over the children And their faces always have the face of God. It means that those angels who are watching over the children can get to God at any moment. It's the idea that God cares about the kids. Every wrong ever done to a child, God cares. Book of Revelation tells us he's filling up bowls with his wrath that he will pour out. There will be a day when those things, a day of reckoning, it will come. Here their children were offered and the Lord says it's going to be birds feasting on their carcasses. And I will cause the seas from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, for the land will be desolate and at that time says the lord they will bring out the bones of the kings of judah and the bones of its princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophet and the bones of the inhabitants of jerusalem out of their graves and they'll spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven which they loved which they served after which they walked which they sought and which they worshiped And they shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. Why? Because death has been chosen rather than life by all the residue of those who remain of this evil family, who remain in all the places where I have driven them, says the Lord of hosts. Message of the valley of slaughter. The Lord says, hey, they chased after all these gods and they got what they deserved. Remember in Deuteronomy, they set up those two paths, right? Life, death, choose life. They chose death. It breaks my heart too, to some degree that we today think that we have somehow aren't like them. In a lot of ways, I think we're worse. Our children are offered up in the holy of holies of the womb of the mother. 
where acid is applied or that which is acid to the child and he's burned alive in his mother's womb. What's the difference? What's the difference? If Judah tried, they could not compete with the amount of children we slay every year. Know what's sad? Our government is now out pushing the cause of abortion around the world. We got enough problems in the world. Don't we got enough problems in the world? That's what I want to be known for. I want to be known for when I travel around, I go stop to Europe. Oh yeah, you know, your Secretary of State was here and her number one agenda was women's right to abortion around the world. In countries that don't allow that. You're kidding me, right? Truth has or is perishing. And we want revival. We want a change in our land. I'll tell you where it starts. Where the citadel of faith was supposed to be. In our homes. Sitting around the table. Sharing the word. Not expecting someone else to teach our children. But we take that responsibility. Spending time early in the morning with the Lord. Getting our marching orders. And then doing what God has for us that day. And occupy till he comes. Amen. Let's pray. We'll have a time of open prayer. I want to invite you to hang out and pray as long as you can. We're going to pray until we stop, and then we'll go. If you've got to go before then, we understand. God bless you guys. Go in peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we study the Word, as we look and see, God, the position of this nation so much mirrors our own. And the, and the message of judgment that is coming to Judah could easily be applied to the world today. But we are your priests and prophets. We are the ones that you have sent to bring messages to those who maybe won't receive it, but nonetheless, you call us to give the message, to share the word, to train up our children to make our families a citadel of faith where we practice what we preach on Sunday morning all throughout the week. Lord, we pray that you would, God, call us, direct us, lead us, equip us to be the men and women you want us to be. That the point of all this isn't condemnation, to challenge conviction we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that Jesus said these things that you've seen me do and greater you shall do we have the tools we just need the will 
And we just need to surrender that will to you. Surrender that will to you, Lord, and allow you to work. Move in this place. Revive us again. That we would do your will and glorify your name. 